Welcome to Danny Houlihan's Irish Experience Podcast. Join Danny on a journey through the historical island of Ireland, its people and the wild Atlantic Way, which is Ireland's last frontier. Experience the music and the culture that makes up the longest coastal driving route in the world. Now, please welcome your host, Danny Houlihan. Welcome everyone to the Wild Atlantic Way and Danny Hulhan's Irish Experience Show and our Christmas show this year. I hope you're all keeping well, my friends, and keep safe. I would like to take this opportunity to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving and a happy Christmas. This show is being webcasted from the Bolivwinanown studio, Winona Shunana Kunde Kiri from North Kerry, Ireland, and also on my powerful Ballybun YXQ internet radio which streams my shows internationally daily. But first, this is Passageway Through Time. 
Can't Beat the Pipes. That was a powerful tune, causeway, passageway through time with a compilation of Irish reels. I recorded many years ago back there in Causeway, North Kerry, Ireland. Over the last year, I have travelled many parts of the county of Kerry to uncover and experience our rich culture and diverse heritage, which in some cases is slowly fading away, while other old structures are still there preserved, only in a small state. What we have left after centuries of war and suppression by countless invaders, it is still impressive. I will start our show with a visit I paid to Gale Graveyard during the year on the outskirts of Listowel, County Kerry, Ireland, which contains the graves of our ancestors and that of our people who perished at the hands of the landlords during the Drochale or the Bad Life in 1846 and Black 47. When I visited the site, I could clearly see around me what remained of the old abbey, with old cut stones and other items made by bygone masons, interwoven into the fabric of old tombs in the graveyard. I also stood at the site where there was a mass grave at one time dug during the Great Irish Famine or Irish Holocaust of 1846 and 47. So sit back and enjoy this first Irish experience to Gale Cemetery. Welcome to the Wild Atlantic Way and Danny Hoolan's Irish Experience Show. I hope you all are keeping well, my friends, and if you have just joined my series, a warm welcome to you all from the banks of the Shannon River, North Kerry, Ireland. During my series, I have visited many places, oh so many places, to have special connections with our past and our people and past lifeways of old settlements old Kuldi sites where once many diverse cultures were based and wiped out over the course of time. Special places that go right to the heart of our history are sadly slowly being forgotten. But one place holds many secrets in North Kerry Island, that is Gale Graveyard, where once stood an old church, an abbey, on a former ancient site and culture now forgotten in time, and its mission, which is lost. Of what remains, only a few handwork stones that link us forever to this forgotten past lifeways. In this episode, apart from various site visits to Gale, to study its environment and materials of past lifeways that might remain as evidence to prove provenance to this episode and to further research and study into this special place in North Kerry, I once again dig deeper and this time micro to uncover its hidden past. I once again use a methodological approach to this area using as much material available, both oral, written and landscape, and also using modern advances in technology to enhance this episode within a framework of research carried out by myself. This is just but a snapshot of the research due to time constraints within the podcast. There will be more. Oh, there will be more. I walk slowly along the tree-lined country road 
when the name they stole Ballyburn and Roe. It was a calm day. The only sounds that could be heard was an odd car passing on the main road behind me. As I moved towards the site of Gale Graveyard, the sounds of birds were all around me, singing their hearts out in the trees, a sign of nature all around. I stopped and thought to myself, way back in antiquity, there were no public roads here like this one, and what the area must have looked like with a blanket of dense trees surrounding the countryside. It must have been a special place, a spiritual place, and a mysterious place of ancient settlements with a deep connection with the landscape. Like other places here in Ireland, during my extensive research, when I peeled back the pages of its history, the vast amount of culture and past lifeways can be found, even when there are no records. Just because it's not there to see in front of us today does not mean it was there in the past. Today, the location of that abbey and church is marked only by a lone graveyard surrounded by a stone wall which holds many of the local people of the area from olden times. Also, it was used during the Great Irish Holocaust of 1845 in the area and Black 47, commonly known as the Great Irish Famine. To bury the young, the old, the numbers we don't have, but it has been stated and estimated that it was in the thousands. All that remains of their graves are the marks in the graveyard, where the large open pits were once dug, then now were covered in with grass, forgotten. But a number of plaques inside the graveyard gate commemorates our people here in their silent resting place. Site description and location. The old cemetery of Gale or Gailey is geographically positioned in the old townland of Garriard, situated approximately over three kilometres southeast of the village of Liselton, and over five kilometres northwest of Listole, County Kerry, Ireland. National grid reference: Listole, 1.43.627448-86. Point one two five three eight nine. The graveyard is positioned within an area best described as an open plain, but in bygone times the entire area would have had trees surrounding it. Later removed during the English colonization of the area during the Elizabethan times. When I was surveying this old site, I looked into the question: where and what happened to the old site? and the early mission that was there, and what sort of community was based in the surrounding countryside. Possibly the old Caldees or Cayley Day were there. The most logical explanation is that the old Caldees settlement faded out with the arrival of a more newer Christian belief and structures in the area. Some adopted the new order, and later, of course, due to invasion and domination, it took its toll on the area. The river, known as the Gailey River, is located several hundred metres to the southeast of the site, not far away from the old cemetery. It was related to me many years ago by a foreign man from the area that a fjord or crossing point existed there that allowed people to cross the river. 
I have consulted the Ordnance Survey Map Sheet 10, Listol, surveyed in 1841 1842, levelled in 1896 and again revised in 1937. And again its levels were revised in 1939. This shows clearly the marked graveyard of Gale and the Garryard Henge within close proximity of the present graveyard. Further on the direction of Coulard, there's a place called Garryard House. There on the map is marked the fjord, which crosses a stream. South of this, in the townland of Shrone West, there's an old roadway marked on the river. And in Shrone Middle and Shrone East, as well as Shrone Bridge, along these points there would have been some sort of crossing point in ancient times. Stepping Stones on the map, I can see in the townland of Drumbeg to the east and Bedford to the south, there were three stepping stone crossing points along the river, which stretched way back into the mists of time. These stepping stones afforded the crossing of the river when it was at a certain level. The land surrounding the graveyard gradually increases in height to the northwest and in the direction of Quinopanore Hill, 267, in the North Kerry region is located approximately 7 kilometres to the northeast. A public secondary road runs by the front of the cemetery wall and connects from the Ballybun and Distole Road to the Coulard area. Contours of the area of Gailey are marked from 50 rising to 100 to the east of Garriard, indicating a gradual rise in the land. There was at one time, as I've stated, a dense belt of trees now completely felled this can be taken from the evidence we have to this day of land drainage over the years, bringing up large sections of bog oak from the entire area. The townlands also identify the location of large oak woods with the names such as Durra West and Durra East. Durra is Irish for an oak wood. Now I turn to historical mentions of people who visited the area and the old abbey or church during the 1800s. Historian John O'Donovan visited Gale Church and Ruins in the 1800s and described the ruinous state of the church or abbey that was still standing at that time. Quote, Nothing remains of the church but a small fragment of the east gable, four foot thick and built of hammer stones and lime and sand cement. Unquote. O'Donovan goes on to state, quote, There are no antiquities in this parish by the graveyard in which the old parish church stood which is situated on low ground in the townland of Garriard. In Irish, the place takes the name Gáile, which according to O'Donovan, in its origins, was not known of, but referred to a castle built in Loch Ray, County Roscommon. This was dated July 15, 1841. O'Donovan mentions St. Bartholomew's Well, which is located down the road from the graveyard to the left, which supplied any settlement that was in the area. Across the road from the present graveyard, there is a hinge monument, registered in the Monuments Record in Dublin, thus indicating the presence of a former settlement of pre-Christian era in the area. It was also said that the well, now known as St. Bartholomew's Well, existed near Jane Mount, but was filled in with stones. How the well emerged in its present location, we will never know, and lost in time. Garriard Hinge some archaeologists have stated that the Garriard Hinge, which is located near the cemetery of Gale, was used for ceremonial and sacrificial practices, which puts the site in the time of the Druids and Chaldees, 
Like I have said before, the use of proper archaeological methods and surveying should be employed in places such as Garryard, near to Gale Graveyard, to uncover more of its precious hidden history, its true history, and for future generations to study. Also, it will create employment for archaeologists to undertake such important work. It should be noted that when I visited the Henge, it was very overgrown with vegetation and trees, barely recognisable, and also the fact that I consulted another map of the period which shows a mound crossing the main road. Thus, the main road cuts through this archaeological site, it should be noted. Before I visited the old graveyard, I consulted the OS maps of the area to see were there any mentions of the old abbey or church rooms. Yes, there was. The graveyard has been well maintained over the years and one can see the locations of where the mass graves, as I've stated, of the Great Irish Holocaust of 1845, 46 and Black 47 are there. A few unmarked stones are scattered here and there in the grass, a stark reminder to this generation what happened many, many years ago. This should not be forgotten, as our people that perished during that period had a vast amount of history, culture and day-to-day -day knowledge of the landscape we will never in our lifetime understand or know. I paused for a moment and reflected at the plaque that has been erected just inside the wall at Gale Graveyard for those who lost their lives during the Great Irish Holocaust. No names are mentioned of these poor souls. Who were they? Where are their people now? scattered across the globe in America, England, Australia and many other destinations. Only a green grassy graveyard is marking their final resting place. A reminder of man's inhumanity to man, woman and child and the unborn. The legacy of the past. And a sober lesson. It should not be allowed to repeat itself again. When I surveyed Gale, I noticed very quickly from my observations around me that there was an ancient settlement and past lifeways, formerly within the graveyard. There were fragments of the past, which could be seen, such as old Boulogne stones, and items which were reused from the old church or abbey at Gailey, cut stones and fragments from the building lie around, and used as grave markers, a practice that was common in Ireland long ago, thus evidence of an ancient settlement within the area of Gale or Gailey, today shrouded by a graveyard. The reason I have covered this graveyard, Gailey, in this episode, and there will be more, is that out there in America, Australia, England, and other destinations, our ancestors are out there looking frantically for their ancestors, where were they buried? Gale Graveyard is one of many in Ireland which holds the ancestors of our people. A graveyard which should not be forgotten. Leaving Gale Cemetery, one can summarise that way back in antiquity there was a large settlement in the area. As any settlement needed adequate water to survive, to rear animals and indeed to irrigate crops, this area around Gale had all of these, with the river to the south and the shelter of the high trees during the winter months and indeed summer. The ancient and pre-ecclesiastical culture would have been in the area, such as the Chaldees, and thriving. As I have to point out, there are many kills and hermitage sites within several miles distance of Gale. I will go into more detail at a later stage. Once again, I must leave you all and get back out there again 
to uncover more of the landscape of Ireland and the famous Wild Atlantic Way route. I hope you've all enjoyed that. That was Gale Graveyard, North Kerry, Ireland. Steeped in history and heritage. A part of our Irish heritage and culture. Worth visiting when you visit Ireland. A part of our unique past. Another tune on the pipes now. This time I'll take down the tempo a bit. This is Celtic Wave. Celtic Wave from the album King of the Pipers myself on the pipes there you're listening to Danny Hulhan's Irish Experience Show broadcasting from the banks of the Shannon River from the Ball of Winnown studio of Winnown the Shunana Kunde Kiri Ireland now we move outwards to Abbey Dorney Nor Kerry and its famous Abbey its history and what makes up this special place on the landscape of Nor Kerry and the Wild Atlantic Way so again, sit back and enjoy. Again, happy Christmas to you all. This is Abby Dorney. I travel out once more 
on one of the arteries of the famous Wild Atlantic Way route, which is one of the world's longest coastal driving routes, which stretches from Donegal in the north to Cork in the south, punctuated with world-famous views that will take your breath away. Inward I travel from my ball of Winnenown studio to explore more of the hidden parts of our country's rich built heritage. On the outskirts of the famous village of Abidorney, a few miles from Tralee, there is located, shrouded in history, the impressive ruins of a Cistercian Abbey, which was founded, according to historians, in the year of 1154 and dedicated to St. Bernard, the famous Curielison Abbey of Abidorney. The historic abbey was constructed on the lands of the Ithorna, a sept of the famous Curia, who were the custodians of the landscape of ancient Erin, going way back into the mists of early history, until the arrival of the Normans in 1166 and the subsequent Cromwellian invasion, with the loss of our culture, which heralded the end of our famous Irish language. As I walked towards the ruins of Abidorney from the main road, approaching this beautiful scenic ruin of Kirlison Abbey, which today is surrounded by a graveyard, containing many famous tombs and graves of its past and its locals. I am struck by the impressive position and elevation of the landscape of Avidorni. No doubt that when the famous Cistercian Abbey was in full use, it was like most others in Ireland, surrounded by a dense covering of trees, now fell by years of subsequent invasion and land reclamation. All that survives of the ruins is that of a church, which was constructed using sandstone and limestone quarried locally. Lyman Mortar was employed in the building of the church like others in Kerry. Abbey Dorney, or in its Irish translation, is known in the Irish as Monastor Othona, the Monastery of the Othona. The old barony in which the ruin is located is in the old barony of Clan Murish, or Murish. Translating the name in English is Clan Morris, in the old civil parish of Monastro Dona, Abidorni. The beautiful village of Abidorni takes its name in Irish from Monastro Dona, which was the Cistercian Order, established in 1154 as stated and sited north of the village. The famous ruins of Abidorni is often called Hirelison, which is Greek for Lord have mercy. The abbots of Odorni, we read in the Annals of Ireland, were Lords of Parliament, thus indicating the importance of this religious building concerning church matters and the Holy See of the time. Christian O'Connorke, or O'Connorke, was born in the province of Ulster in Northern Ireland and studied there at St. Malachy's in Armagh. Christian departed Ireland after his education from Armagh and commenced his pilgrimage to Rome, and on his way he stayed at Clairvaux Abbey, a Cistercian monastery founded by St. Bernard. St. Bernard was a key reformer of the early Cistercian order and would have still been alive at the time of Connolly's visit. So while Christian was staying at Clairvaux, he was inducted into the order by St. Bernard. This, according to his story, was around the year of 1137. When Christian O'Connorkey returned to his native Ireland, he commenced the establishment of the first Cistercian monastery at a site now known today as Mellifont Abbey, at Drogheda, north of Dublin. St. Bernard 
sent several French monks to Melifont to start the monastery. Christian, due to his holy works, became Bishop of Lismore in 1157, before retiring after his long years as a missionary to the sanctuary of Abidorne in the year of 1180 to pray and prepare for his last journey to meet the Lord. It was here that he was to be buried with great ceremony within the ruins of Ordorne in 1186, thus indicating the level of which the Abbey and its friars regarded him and that of the Holy See. T.J. Barrington, historian and author, in his famous book, Discovering Kerry, quote, Here died in 1186 Christian O'Connor, first abbot of Melifont, trained by St. Bernard of Clairvaux, who was later Bishop of Lismore, President of and Papal Legate at the Synod of Kells in 1152 and Synod of Cashel of 1171 to 1172, unquote. In the year of 1337, the famous abbey was granted to Edmund Lord Kerry, Baron of Ordone and Viscount Kilmoyley. The abbey was suppressed in 1536 during the reign of King Henry of England after the Reformation, the Abbey was granted to Captain Zouche, and after this period, to the Crosby family, and again later to Trinity College in Dublin. As I walked through a side entrance to the church in the last few weeks, the remains of the West Gable window, which is fashioned from hard-grade limestone with elaborate mouldings in Gothic style, is still there. Only a section remains, a throwback in time, a fragment of our past and this unique building, all around me there are sections and fragments of cut stones and objects, fashioned from limestone, integrated into old tombs and the presence of foundations, indicating the extent of the massive scale of the once imposing Cistercian Abbey, which dominated the North Kerry skyline. The doorway is unique with its ornate designs and mouldings, some of which are missing, but some are still visible today. Standing testament to our ancestors, Access to this door is locked off now with a steel grid, but is visible. From this doorway, access was gained to the bell tower and roof of the famous abbey, which sadly today is in a dangerous condition. I noticed, while I was within the famous ruin, the floor level is overgrown and uneven, due to the fact that over the years, earth, masonry and other debris has accumulated within the confines of the once ornate church. This should be cleaned up for such an important abbey and its locals. It has been related that during the 15th century, one of the Fismoris family possibly was interred within the location of the church. However, no markings to date can verify this. What a pity. Right of this, where the altar was, is part of Sedelia. Now nearly gone, but the stone seat is there. A uniquely shaped waterfront in the shape of a shamrock and cross is there. Is this the final resting place of Bishop Conachie, the former Bishop of Lismore? Again, we can only speculate. He lies within this special place, a place of our Kiri ancestors, who were here before the Abbey and its building. Another part of this impressive building, which according to historians is dated to the 15th century, is the East Window, constructed of chiseled limestone, which I can see is divided into three lights or days by limestone mullions. The upper part of the window is of Gothic design. The building measures according to various surveys, 
93 feet in length, with a width of 22 feet 9 inches. The walls are 39 inches in thickness, with a height of 22 feet. Walking around the ruined abbey, I can see there has been a small amount of preservation work carried out, with foundations and certain sections which have been pointed with lime-based mix to hold the structure in place. Unless more restoration work is done to this special ruin, it will fall. With it will be our history, gone, and our tourism potential for centuries gone. It's time to get the ruin sorted for future generations. The fact that there is a modern safety fence around the ruin is primarily for public safety, but it does take away from the experience of the place. This should be removed when the ruin is preserved fully. As I walk away from the Cistercian Abbey of Abidorney, I pause and reflect on the history and connection with Bishop Connerke and his connection with the Holy See and the famous foundation which in ruins still captivates all who visit. I remember my visit well to this special abbey of Abidorney and the ruins that surround it and the ancient tombs. The association with the old O'Connor Kerry clan of the Curia. That was Abbey Dorney, North Kerry, Ireland. You're listening to Danny Hulhan's Irish Experience Show, webcasting from the southwest coast of Ireland on the mighty wild Atlantic Way route. The time is approaching the top of the hour here in Kerry. Our Christmas show is at full tilt. Now, another tune on the pipes. This is Fast and Furious. <laughs>
20 men from Dublin town and the dawning of the day from the album Dance Floor Piper. Brought that out a few years ago there. Another fine album. Now, we're on to another place near my hometown of Ballybunion, North Kerry, Ireland. One of the most historical townlands in our Kerry, known as Kilahenna, Kiletna or Kilahenna, just south of the present town of Ballybunion. So again, sit back and relax. Another part of our unique heritage. In this exploratory episode, I will trawl into the historical material and available evidence that I have found both oral and written to provide provenance to the episode. I have, during my podcast series, carried out many, many days of field research with a clear objective and a campaign for research. My episodes with a clear objective in mind, such as in this episode, what is left of the ancient parish and townland called Killehenny and Ballier, now within the parish of Ballybunion in North Kerry, Ireland. I am consistently testing the hypothesis against more data I have researched, both written records, ordnance survey maps, aerial photography, oral traditions, and the natural landscape which still holds its secrets. Then after initial surveys of sites, including photography, video recording, and mapping, I cross-reference all data to see if there's any shred of evidence in the oral tradition that can be transferred into fact. Sometimes yes, and sometimes no. Then, in conclusion to my research, I devise a model or a description of the research compiled to date that seems best to summarize the historical patterns of past lifeways I have observed in the data uncovered during my research. This research is ongoing and opens up the conversation and debate with our Irish diaspora abroad who are out there searching frantically for their ancestry, whose people were forced into emigration during the Great Irish Holocaust of 1845, 46 and Black 47, commonly known as the Great Irish Famine, from the area of Kelehenny or Kiletna and Ballier or Balleonia in an area known in North Kerry as Ballybunion. The name Kilehenny takes its name from the prefix kil, meaning a cell or a church, which has connections with the early Christian period or pre-ecclesiastical, a time of isolated holy men and indeed holy women living in isolated areas at that time, making their communion with the divine God and connecting with the rich cultured Irish communities that surrounded their settlements. Evidence and provenance are very hard to pin down these early settlements, but what remains in the history records, sometimes very small, insignificant mentions. And I have to state, to some historians, it's not worth travelling out to or to visit these places. All that is used is just a quick source of reference. I travel out to search these places for anything that might give us a clue into these past lifeways and forgotten people and their cultures. The name Eni from Kilahenny is broken down from Etna, or Athena, a pre-Christian holy woman that lived in the era of Ballier, or the townland of the deer, where they say the present graveyard is today, located next to the famous Ballybunion Golf Club, south of the present seaside town of Ballybunion in North Kerry Island. There is a graveyard, as I stated, called Kilahenny, surrounded by an 1800s rough-cut stone wall. The ruins of the former church of Kilahenny, or Kiletna, in its history, has been cited according to historians, where the graveyard is now located today. Grid reference 
86311-139609. All that is left of the kill or the church, which according to historians, the old foundations, are buried deep within the soil of the west section of the graveyard. The graveyard can be found on any map of the area of Ballybunion, located next to the famous Ballybunion Golf Club on Santa Road, Ballybunion, County Kerry, Ireland. Rising to the east of the graveyard, the land today is well-drained and open. This rises the Canucanore Hill to the east. Killehene is located on an elevated site on a former high dune now levelled over the centuries. It has been related to me in the past by historians that items of household such as balloon stones, cordon stones, and indeed the remains of Clochans have been found several metres northeast of the graveyard near the Kitties River, now covered up. Also balloon stones, which I should say were used for the making of flour, have been found within the confines of the graveyard, thus providing provenance that there was an early settlement there. Finding all these household implements points to a much larger settlement and a large population which should be noted to the northeast and the south of the graveyard. I should state, to make it very clear, I have been informed on several occasions of items found over the years there, but this information gets to me pretty late to initiate any recovery attempt, as the diggers had done their damage, and it was too late. However, these items over the years that have been found have been lost or reused for building materials in the area, and are not available for research. Lost to time and tide, the area of the settlement was located near a water source, which was the Kitties River, which meanders its way from the higher ground, from east to west. This came from the Canucanore area, and in those times, the area of Kilihene was covered in a dense oak forest. This not only gave shelter from the prevailing winds, but added shelter for wild boar or pig and native Irish red deer, a potential food source which flourished in the area. The annual feast day of St. Etna was normally celebrated on the 6th of June and sometimes in July locally. However, in the Irish calendar, Etna's feast day was celebrated on January the 11th. All that is known of Etna or Athena's mission is that the woman had a kind heart and fed and clothed the poor of the area and the dying. Her deeds were many and are lost to time. Her cell or church was according to old historians a very small one, or stone clock on. Located, as I've stated, where the cemetery is now located today, shaded by the high sandals near Ballybun and Golf Club. Some historians have stated that Etna or Athena was a daughter of the High King Lyra of Ireland, and she was a sister of Fidelma, or Saint Fidelma. Tradition relates that the two sisters met Saint Patrick, who baptised them, and after this special event, they took the veil. One can just imagine Etna or Athena collecting water from the nearby Kitty's River with a wooden handmade bucket. The stream ran several metres from the old kill, and Etna foraging in the high woods that bordered the dunes, and helping the poor people of the area. History lost to time. When Etna's mission was established, we don't know as she was a female in an area dominated by many, many male missions, which lived side by side by her. The question I put forward now is, was Etna's mission one of the early Kuldi movements, 
similar to that of Derico or the Ramokua, mentioned in the Fera of Festologies of Angus the Caldean, located upriver on the river Kossan Kiri Lucra or the pathway to the ancient kingdom of Kir. I will research into this at another stage, so keep an eye on my podcast series. In this episode, apart from local oral traditions handed down to me by historians and locals, I have consulted with various sources. I have consulted many maps and records still in existence. All maps of the Kilheny area in 1669, Lord Kerry's map of his estate, dated. Petty's map, 1683, which mentions Kilheny, K-I-L-L-A-H-E-N-Y. And in the 1756, Smith's map mentions K-I-L-L-E-I-N-Y, Kilheny as well. The Arden survey maps, 1841. Kilheny graveyard, extract from OS 1846, sheet 004, Kilhenna Graveyard, extract from the Ordnance Survey, 2nd edition, 1898, sheet 004-15-14, identifies the site location of the church ruined or cell. Kilhenny or Kilhenna is listed in the record of monuments and places in Ireland as KE004-043001. I have inserted as much information as I have to date in this episode, which in the future will be updated accordingly. Now I journey back to the ancient parish and the landscape of Kilheny or Kiletna, into its deep hidden history and our people, to uncover its past and its past lifeways, and make a pioneering attempt with Danny Hoolan's Irish experience to reconnect with our past and the past lifeways, our people, who were scattered around the globe and who were forced to leave their special place along the banks of the Cashin River many, many moons ago, at the hands of the absentee landlords from London in their quest for land and greed. Our famous townland had under its geographical area 13 towns, bollies or townlands. These townlands made up a considerable population within the parish of the old civil parish of Kilhenny or Kiletna and Ballier or Balia Anir, the townland of the deer. Every one of them had their distinctive name or been associated with the landscape of the area and also the wild deer, Rahunuk. Ra takes its name from a circular ring fort, which during the Iron Age and early Christian period were the homes and strongholds of our ancestors, where they lived and survived in safety with their families and animals, safe from attack. The word Ra, a fort, Una takes its name from a grave, the Fort of the Grave. One local story that was related to me many years ago was that of a local boy who one day entered a fort in Dune, north of Rahunuk, where a large serpent was sleeping. The young boy always wanted to catch such an animal of that size. The young boy approached the beast, giving it a strong kick in the rear. The animal, quite surprised by the assault on his privacy, chased the young boy as far as Rahunuk where the beast died of a heart attack. The young boy learned his lesson, never to approach an animal like that in the future. I have visited the site of the old fort over the years. However, it has been eroded by the river. Nothing remains, but in its history of the area, the event is still known as that of the beast. Dune was a stronghold, a crescent fort, overlooking Coon the Heishka, the Bay of the Fish, this fort is located north of Kilahene, facing the sea. It was this fort the sleeping serpent was disturbed and assaulted by the young boy, and Ballybunion 
takes its name from the Balia, townland, Bonia and Bonzon are Bonanos from the Jordan retainers, Balia, or Balia Hania, the townland of the deer, took its name due to the proliferation of deers, and also deer antlers and bone fragments that have been found in the area. And according to other sources, the name was known as Clockstown, which took its name from the Clockans that dotted the landscape and was inhabited by our people. A Clockan was a small house type with stone walls and a stone roof. Sometimes a timber roof or branches were used and sods were employed as roofing materials. Another townland, Barnadaric, the Red Gap, which takes its name from the reddish soil found near the entrance to a fort or stronghold in the area. This fort or stronghold is now gone. Another townland, Laharden, takes its name from the geographical area it is situated in. La, meaning half, and Ardon, a plateau or level place in the land. Laharden or Lahardon can be found by leaving Ahafona in Ballybunnan and then following the winding road from Drummond and Mohan. This road levels off to Laharden with extensive views of the Cashin Estuary and North Kerry. Farron Pierce takes his name from Farron, meaning the land of Pierce, or also an alder tree. This is just a taste of the townlands of the area. I'll go into those townlands in much deeper detail in other podcasts. The arrival of the first people to Kilehenna and Ballier. Nakedgrina, the first people, along the shoreline of Kilehenna and Ballier, occurred during the late Mesolithic period, 7,000 to 4,000 BC. These early settlers were a fish, fowl and food gathering culture who roamed the countryside peacefully and seashore in search of their daily food supply, such as shellfish and fish. The air of Kilihenny was rich in food supplies, with the forest full of red wild deer, wild pig and berries, along with shellfish found along the shoreline of Kilihenny and the wild boar and salmon. Evidence of this to prove provenance to my podcasts are axe-head stonesmithal whorls and many more items, including bone comb fragments, which are now housed in the National Museum of Ireland. Along the Kitties River were sighted their primitive dwellings, constructed from the hides of the wild boar and wild deer that roamed the landscape of North Kerry. Over the years, several hot sites have been found in the area, indicating a presence of occupation, with burned stones and fragments of tools used from their ancient fires have been found. These fires and old sites have been levelled over the years in the preparation for both of the golf courses, old and new. Within the dunes they cooked their fires and left their refuse heaps, called kitchen middens. I have covered this in another episode, entitled Primitive Dwellings in the Santals of Ballier, so when you get a chance, check it out, it's a good podcast. During the Neolithic period, the landscape of Kelehenny and Ballier changed with the cultivation of the landscape of the area. The commencement of farming and the clearance of the land, thus the population increased during this period dramatically. Evidence found of this period had been broken saddlegrounds found in the area, which were used in the production of flour and other broken tools. During the Iron Age, 1200 BC, an early Christian period. The rise in the population in the area increased with the arrival of the old clan system and their beliefs and the Brehan laws which were enforced in the area. A large population around the area of Kilihenna and Bali was there 
with house types, such as Plocons, as I've stated before, built only of stones from the seashore. Artifacts found from this period were Iron Age pins found in the sandals during the 1940s, they dated to the Latin style and are now in the National Museum of Ireland. At the mouth of the Cashin River, south of Killehenny townland, there was a pre-patrician settlement called Inish Labrin or Lavra. All that we know of the island, it was named after a king called Fiacra Lavra, who was an ancestor of the race of Kier. It should be noted. Later, around the year of 812, we read in the writings of the wars with the Gael with the Gaul that the holy island at the mouth of Kasan Kiri Lucra of the Cashin was raided by reconnaissance Viking forces who ravaged and plundered the island and put the holy men to the sword, forcing them to flee upriver to another sanctuary, another special place, called Derico Odramakua, mentioned in the Phaedra of Festologies of Angus the Caldee. I have covered Ratu and Derico, so when you get a chance, have a listen to those podcasts. It will enhance this episode and give you another historical perspective. In local lore, it has been handed down that yet another settlement existed within the dunes in Kilihene, but its mission and leader we don't know of. Was this another satellite settlement connected with Etna or Athena? Was it another Kaldee, lost in time and the moving sands of Kilihene? The sands of time have covered the evidence However, bones and skeletons have been found in the area from time to time, which must be noted from all periods, which indeed complicates its rich history and culture. I hope you've enjoyed this first part in the series of ancient parish Kilihenny. I have enjoyed travelling out there to visit the site and along the Cashin River or Kusan Kiri Lucra. In the second part, I will cover the arrival of the Normans, landlords, evictions, the Great Irish Holocaust of 1846 and Black 47, and our people and names who were here in the area before, during, and after the Great Irish Famine. That was Kilihenna. I hope you enjoyed it. Or Kiletna. Part of our rich culture and our Irish heritage. It's hidden history, it's archaeology, and aspects of our ancient past brought to light again through our podcast series. Now, during the year... I was out during the Moya Festival in Ballybonion, which promotes well-being, yoga, meditation and other workshops. If you are in the Ballybonion area during the year, why not check this festival out? It's well worth a visit and in fact is well worth participating in its many activities. My small part was to take a tour to the summit of Cunacunor, with several stops along the way where once our ancestors lived, walked and played. This I did and a great evening and experience ascending the hill with views of the winding road of Knuckanorn and Lahaden and Mohan in view. Again, I hope you all are enjoying the day, so relax and enjoy my May Eve walk to Lahaden and Knuckanorn. And again, I want to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving and a happy Christmas. So sit back and relax. This is the Lahaden Walk. Welcome to the Wild Atlantic Way and Danny Hooligan's Irish Experience Show on May Eve. In fact, I guided a group to the top of Conochanor, the Hill of Slaughter, on May Eve, where once the might of the Fianna was tested against Talpic Throne, a noted Grecian warrior 
from Greece over the beautiful female Neve. I am not a superstitious person, but if our ancestors were here with me, they would tell me to stay clear of the hill of Conochnor on the night of May Eve, as it's the realm of the other world, the fairies and the fair bollocks, the other world creatures who come to life, is their realm and kingdom. Prior to leaving Supervalue Vanibonian, a large group assembled of well-fit hikers and walkers. After introductions, we made our way through the bustling Ballybunnan streets onto the path to Ahafona. From there, we took a left onto Drummond, then to Mohan and then Lahaden, which winds its way along the grassy countryside of Drummond, Mohan, Lahaden, then onto the locked Conochonor, the Hill of Slaughter. The evening was warm and sunny as we left, and it was nice. The sounds of happy walkers were behind me, thirty in all, as we made our joyful way at a nice pace to our first stop. Most of you will not be able to attend the walk on this occasion, so I will just give you a taste of the sights we came across and its people who are gone as we proceed up the famous hill of slaughter known as Kunukunur. Moving along at a nice pace, passing well-established hedges, if only they could talk. The views of the upland area came into view, with its upland pastureland and the hill of Conochonor in the distance. At our first stop along the route, to give everyone a break, we halted just beyond the late Jack Welch's house, to the right in Wuhan. Located in a field to our right, with a stream flowing in front of it, was a univalet ring fort in very good condition, once a home to our Irish ancestors in the late Iron Age and early Christian period. We stopped for a moment on the outskirts of Mohan after passing the townland of Drummond. There I related the history of the old fort and its origins. Many people are gone from the area or left or died during the Great Irish Holocaust of 1846 and Black 47, known as the Great Hunger or Famine, resulting in the old homesteads being demolished, now gone. Only stones are left behind, remnants, in the old ditches, a reminder of a bygone time and people now gone. A small bit of genealogy now for our Irish diaspora. The leasers of this townland, born in 1851, the reps of John L. Gunn Esquire, and William Collins, who was renting land from him. Names in 1851 were William Collins, whose land was under the farmer, totaled 127 acres, one road and 34 perches, and the land was valued at 41 pounds and 10 shillings. The buildings were 4 pounds and 6 shillings, 
the total of Mohan was £45.16. and shillings. According to the report at the time, the occupiers were William Collins, Ellen Mahoney, House, 5 shillings, John Collins House, 6 shillings, and Bartholomew Mahoney House, 5 shillings. Townland of Drummond The names that were here in 1851 during the Griffiths valuations were stated immediate lease of the land, Sophie C. Herring, she was leasing land to George Hewson, Esquire of Innesmore, who was an occupier, which totaled two roads, 22 perches, costing five shillings. Thomas Dennis, Esquire, was both occupier and leaser, in fee, house, offices and land, 198 acres, one rood, one perch. The value of the land was valid at £94. The buildings were worth £3. The total was £97. The local occupiers. This leaves out any other subdivisions of the land, which was there, and we have no record of those people who were living there under these occupiers. All bar one was paying rent to Thomas S. Dennis Esquire and Lady Burghurst. The names in Drummond in 1851 were Patrick McNamara, house and offices. The value of the land and offices were 12 shillings. Thomas Callaghan and his family, a house which was 7 shillings. James Quinlan, house, which was worth 12 shillings. William Deanahan, house and office, valued at 15 shillings. George Nevin, house and garden, valued at 8 shillings. Joanna Connors, house at 5 shillings. Mary Connors, house, 5 shillings. Daniel Deanahan, house, 8 shillings. George Gunn, landlord, gentry, House, offices and land, 36 acres, one road, 11 perches, valued at £23 and 10 shillings. Robert Cashel, renting land from Lady Borkhurst, three roads, 13 perches. The land was valued at 10 shillings, but the valuation was at a pound. Other names were Patrick Wolfe, a Callaghan family, a Fenerty family, Welsh family and a Scandon family. So as you can see, that in that area we passed through on our walk to the hill of Cunochanor, there were many names, many, many names, sadly now gone and forgotten from this old townland. Gone forever. Where are their ancestors now? Are they in America? Did they settle in the Appalachian Mountains and other parts of Montana, Connecticut, Illinois, Virginia, Massachusetts, North Carolina, and many, many more places? I know of the Maloney family who came from this area and their ancestors visited me only just about a year ago. This is just a taste of what I said as we moved along the countryside with the sounds of birds singing around us and a stream running softly near our walk, our natural Irish environment at its best. As we stopped at the ring fort, I related its history. During the Iron Age and early Christian period, our ancestors constructed these ancient circular earthen structures some stone, majority were of earthen design. These ancient enclosures, when constructed, consisted of a dwelling such as a thatch-like building. In some cases, were built of wattle walls. Cattle and animals were allowed to roam freely within the confines of the structure. For children too, it was a safe place to stay. Often they were raised by other warring neighbours, which was a factor in the times when other neighbours or local tribes wanted to steal the fatted animals from each other. In this case, 
a stone-lined tunnel structure known as a souterrain, sous terra meaning underground passages, were constructed within the fort as protection. These structures were elaborate stone-lined tunnels under the fort, so if the enclosure was attacked, the occupants, men, women and children, could hide in for a period, then escape when the invaders were gone. The exact location where the family escaped through was only known to the family and was choked to prohibit the attackers from invading the list or fort. Thus the association with people entering and leaving forts without notice and the connection with the fairy folk or fur bullocks knew the locations to disappear to the other world within the confines of these early forts. These ancient forts in Ireland would have been used up to modern times. Also, it should be noted, people who were buried within the confines of those ancient forts during the Great Irish Holocaust or Great Hunger of 1846 and Black 47. These ring forts are special places. May Eve was not the time or the place to be near a ring fort. As we had been told by our people, passing ring forts on May Eve, one could hear unusual sounds of groaning and shouting and activity coming from the fort. Our ancient ancestors come back to life. In local lore, people have vanished and have been taken to the other world of Anu, goddess of the earth, on May Eve. A ring fort was a place not to be near or in that particular evening. It is also said that on May Eve, the spirit of Furfi, the ancient deer, can be seen on the ridge near Drummond, where he was sacrificed to the Folloch de Fia, and the sounds of people talking and the crackling of timber burning in a large pit, and the stones cracking as it hit the Folloch de Fia and being brought to boil. Also, the sounds of a large wooden fire burning, large amounts of timber to heat the stones for the Folloch de Fia the sounds of hungry warriors awaiting their portion of the killed deer or boar or red Irish deer could be heard. Another old story told about the area of lone travellers in the late 1880s. While walking along certain parts of the hill, suddenly they crossed a place where they felt so tired, cold and very, very hungry. In fact, they were so overcome with hunger, this feeling they fell to the ground. The only way out of the place was to eat a small piece of bread or drink something to relieve the experience. One person locally who managed to pull themselves away from the area made their way to a thatched house, only to be fed by a local housewife. Did you pass the old road, she said, as she looked in their direction. Oh yes, they replied. And she repeated the story that was repeated time and time again, that during the Great Irish Holocaust of 1846 and 47, known as Great Hunger or Famine, Oh, that's the old road, 
used during the famine. Many are buried along its route, and some were found dead on it, and indeed buried within its banks and the fallen walls of their homes, she replied. Now, as we moved along our tour route, these are some of the names of the area now gone in Lahardin, Mohan and Drummond. Again, another bit of genealogy for those in America and Australia and around the world. Now, just to mention a few names of those who were here in the area in 1851, I've gone back to 1848 as well to see who was there. A small bit of information, as I say, for our diaspora. A snapshot in time. Are there any relations of yours on my list? If so, reach out to me and let me know. Now, I look at the tithe appointments books first and the names who were paying tithe to the established Church of Ireland at that time. Just a few local names and stats who were there before the Great Hunger or Irish Holocaust of 1845, 46 and Black 47. Just remember, as I said, the ordinary people under these named tenants are lost in time as they were not recorded. Their ancestors are out there and laid their bones far away from home, far away from the Shannon side. Some ended up in Montana and other places and the Appalachian Mountains. The question is, where do they rest now? In some overgrown graveyard, no longer visited. A secret, a faded name on a headstone, slowly going away. We read who was mentioned on the 23rd of August, 1825. Morris Hennessy, 32 acres, 3 roods, 29 perches. He had 5 acres, 0 roods, and 35 perches of bog. He was paying two pounds, six shillings. John English had bog, five acres, zero roots and 35 perches. Two pounds, six shillings in tithe. He had 16 acres, two roots and 16 perches. Pat English, 16 acres, three roots, six perches. He had bog, 74 acres, one root, 23 perches. John D had bog, same acreage. He was paying tithe of two pounds, six shillings. A Carmody man, we have no first name, had bog, 19 acres, 2 roods and 24 perches. A Sheehy man had 19 acres, 2 roods, 4 perches, valued at £1, 13 shillings. James Stack had land, arable, 61 acres, 1 rood and 25 perches. Coarse pasture, 31 acres, 3 roods, 7 perches. And bog, he had 27 acres, 1 rood and 5 perches. The total of the acres was 120 acres, two roots and 37 perches. He was paying a tithe to the established church of three pounds, nine shillings and zero pence. The total acreage for Lahardin was 391 acres, three roots and 16 perches. The total tithe came to in all nine pounds, seven shillings. Just a few names, part of our history, part of our past and our people no long since forgotten. As we walked along the Harden, with nature in bloom, I noticed the long ditches that flanked our way. These ditches contained many stories and worked stones from old houses now gone. From the surrounding area, even a few bones of those who perished during the Great Irish Hunger of 1846 and 47 are still resting in silence there, all around us, a special place to be and a special place to walk on May Eve. Looking through the 1851 Griffiths valuations, 
and the 1848 survey by Dennis Freeman for this townland. The population at that time after the famine was still very high. I will just list the names of the leasers and the occupiers just to show and prove there was a large population in the area of Lahardin, Drummond and Mohan at that time. The total land area in Lahardin was 1,413 acres, zero roads and 30 perches. The land was valued at 132 acres, four roads and zero perches. The total was 147 pounds and nine shillings. The immediate leasers, there are a few, which I will now list. Under them will be the occupiers. As I said, under them we don't know. There's no records. As I said, not mentioned in this list are the remnants of a community after the Great Hunger of 1845, 46 and Black 47. Who were they? Where did their ancestors go to? Now gone. Morris Hennessy. James Connell. Turns Connor. Michael Murphy. Edmund Murphy. Garrett D. All of the names in brackets. The reps. John L. Gunn. Angela D. Names of the people that were on the land at that time. Michael Kelly was living there in 1846 during the Great Irish Hunger. John Kelly. Ellen Sullivan. Patrick Sullivan was there in 1848. John English. Terence Connors. Henry Sullivan was there in 1846. John Diggin. Michael Murphy was there in 1846. Timothy O'Brien was there in 1848. Margaret Ferris. Mary D. Dennis Enright. Richard Kennedy. Brian Hennessy was there in 1848. James D. was there after the famine in 1848. Edmund Enright. Margaret Ferris. Anne Connors. Patrick Sheehy. John Quinlan. Garrett D. Daniel D. Honora Conway. Mary Ryan. Many, many names of our people. Now gone and forgotten. Now back onto the level, as we headed towards the crossroads, and took a left to the climb. Not far away from us in the distance is the famous Holywell Tumba McCree. I will deal with that in another episode. At the foot of the last climb to Conocunor Hill, which is steep, we halted for the last time to draw breath. I related the famous story of Cock Conocunor, the Hill of Slaughter, which all enjoyed a taste of our history. As a boy going to school, I was related the story of a great battle that took place between Fynn McCool and the Fianna against Talfic Train or Talfic Throne, he was known as. I have covered Knuckanor in another one of my podcasts, so when you get a chance, check it out. It's a nice podcast. From the dialogue of the ancients, we get a sense of the place and the battle from the Irish translation, The Hill of Slaughter which is taken from a colour of the Shanorok, the colloquy of the elders, 
stanza 47, quote, The Hill of Slaughter. Canucunor is the hill back there. Until eternity it will be called the Hill of Slaughter. O Patrick of the White Crozier, it is with good reason it is called that. Tell me if you can remember, O sad son of Cool, tell me and bless you, the true story, and don't hold back. One day, when Fionn the leader and the Fianna with their slender horses were on the hill, there was a great number of them, and they were not afraid to show their strength. A lone woman, more beautiful than the sun, was seen by the Fianna approaching up the pathway. She approached Fionn, the commander of all ports, and he saluted the woman, who wore a red cape. Who are you, O queen, said Fionn? You who are beautiful in spirit and appearance. Your voice will be more beautiful to me than any music that is played. My name is Neve the Fair, the daughter of Roch, son of Daladian, the king of Greece, my curse on him, who forced me to marry Talthic Troyne. What has forced you to travel? Don't keep any secrets from me now. I will protect you till eternity and keep him from you. That man I spoke about, he is the reason for my pain. I was promised to him, and Greece has been destroyed twice as a result. It is no wonder that I hated him, said the beauty with a fair appearance. Two ears, a tail, and a cat's head he has, not a nice man. I have travelled the world three times, and I have not found a king or ruler but yourselves, O Fiona, who would promise me protection. We will protect you, young woman, said Fionn, the undefeated, until we all fall in your cause, all seven battalions under my command. By your own hand, I swear to you, Fionn, that you are mistaken. The person who I am fleeing from will kill many in battle. Do not fear too much, O woman with the curly gold hair. No warrior under the sun arrived, whom the Fina weren't a match for. Immediately, then we saw coming towards us a royal man with a cat's head and strong arms. He neither saluted nor bowed before Fionn, but sought battle for the woman. We sent two hundred warriors against him. Warriors who were strong of arm. Not one of the two hundred returned. Every one of them fell to Talp Mokhtrain. One thousand leaders, nine thousand warriors, side by side our own men, O Patrick of the Strong Feet. They were the ones we lost of the Fianna. Oscar asked Fionn's permission. Although I shivered to mention it, to fight the fierce warrior after he saw the demise of the others. I grant you permission, said Fionn, although I greatly regret it if you die. Go and take my blessing. Remember your skill and your deeds. Oscar got up, that brave man, on whose hand no attack had ever succeeded. That glorious warrior with supreme courage went to face Talmach Train. Turn towards me, O son of Train, said the brave Oscar. 
because I will take your head off to revenge those whom you've killed. For five days and five nights, the two strong men clashed in battle without food or drink or sleep until Talc fell by my son's hand. We raised three battle cries on high after that fierce rough battle. Shouts of lament for those who had fallen in battle and two shouts of praise for the death of Talc. And then, Neve the Beautiful, that fine woman, when she saw the extent of the slaughter, that woman with the rosy cheeks was overwhelmed by a fit of shame and fell down dead with the others. The death of the Queen, after all that had happened, affected all very severely. On this hill, after that battle, the Fianna named it the Hill of Slaughter. Powerful words from the ancients. What a history we have in this area. It's fabulous. There was a cairn on the hill of Knockanore many, many years ago, and graves it has been said, but sadly the heap of stones was removed in the early 1700s. As we reached the end of our tour and the climb to Knockanore, one of our guests walked on the last part of an old roadway which ran along the coastline and crossed Knockanore. It was one of the ancient highways of Ayrn, the Clearua, which stretched this ancient route from Allen Mountain and Kerryhead and Cahar Conry along the coastline of North Kerry, crossing the River Cashin and through the old parish of Kilihene and Dune, and on towards Bramore. These ancient highways were ancient routes, linking the coastline and the old promontory forts and settlements along the coastline of North Kerry in ancient times, for people and their customs before the arrival of Christianity. It was related to me that the old road of Clearua branched off at Dune Church to the right and made its way to the hill of Knockanore. Now, my friends, you can still see a part of the old ditch on Knockanore, winding its way in the direction towards the ruin of Dune Church. And it should be noted, another part of that road can be seen near Bramore Cliffs, running along the cliffs to the promontory fort of Lick Castle. It's not without grounds that another spur ran from Lick to Knockanore. The road crossed the hill to the other side, where the start of the Shannon Way is now, and made its way to the old woodlands of Astee, Bally Longford. These woodlands are gone now, but the bogs are there to testify to the woods being there. It is said that on May Eve, if you're on the hill, the sounds of carts and horses can be heard clear as day, making their way along the hillside to Astee and Bally Longford. The voices of the ancients, returning to the lands they once roamed and farmed. After the group had a break and a brief conversation with each other, a thing today we often miss, we all gradually dispersed, down from the locked and Kunukunur, leaving behind its famous history and lore. The mist that had covered the hill gradually cleared, leaving us with a sunset view of the clouds. It was magic as if the fairy folk had permitted us a glimpse of their dawn, I thought. One could meditate on one's own soul as we descended from the beautiful hill. Some of the original group came together as we came down the hill, with the scenic backdrop of the Shannon Estuary and Kerryhead in the distance. 
A great conversation took place about fairies and pishogs. It was unique. However, one person warned us, don't tempt the fairies as we passed the ring fort near Mohan. The fine conversation intermingled with periods of silence, with nothing but the sounds of birds singing before dusk, was all around us, an experience worth having. It was not long until we arrived at Ahafona and back to the town of Ballybunion, alive with the sounds of night revellers. I thought we have left our history and our tour behind us, a period of communion with our nature and our landscape. I will be back to the Hill of Slaughter again, so keep an eye on my podcast series. I hope you've enjoyed that. That was the Harden Walk to Kunukunur. I really enjoyed that during the Moya Festival, and I recommend people to travel that journey from Ballybunion via Ahafona to Kunukunur and La Harden, a lovely area, and its people. I will finish off by wishing you all again and your family a very happy and a safe Christmas. From the banks of the Shannon River here in Ireland, from the studio of Wallaf Winnown, Winnown the Shunana Kunde Kiri, one last tune on the pipes. Until we meet again. Slan. Bye.
Thanks for listening to our show. Through its people, its heritage and its rugged coastline, this is truly Danny Houlihan's Irish experience. Bye for now.